0: So last week, we started this little two-part series in the middle of the home messages on why is marriage so hard? And we're not exactly sure where this took place in our marriage, but somewhere around year 15, 17, 18, we kind of just looked at each other and went, why is this so hard? I mean, we're like professional Christians. We're Bibled up. We're prayed up. We're, you know, we give. We, we're all church. I mean, I'm a pastor. I mean, why is this so hard? And we realized that we were trying to complete each other. And again, I don't know where it was. She doesn't remember where it was. 15, 16, 17 years into this, it's like, I, I can't complete you and, and you can't complete me. And once we figured out that only God could complete us. Once we realized that we were supposed to be complete in Christ first, then we could love each other as Christ loved the church. Then we could show amazing respect toward each other. And it was, it was incredibly liberating. It was, it was very freeing once we came to that conclusion. So I wanted, we, we want to, just for just two minutes, share with you the big bullet points from last Sunday and if you weren 't here, go online, you can get all the details. but here are the are the four major bullet points from last week. Number one: your perceived problem is not your problem. in other words, you perceive that your problem is my gosh we 're different or we are, have different expectations or we have just different values. We've grown apart. So therefore, my goodness, we, I must have married the wrong person. So that was the first bullet point. Your perceived problem is really not your problem. Number two, your spouse was not designed to complete you. Is that an epiphany? Because she can't. He, he, he can't. There's no way that your spouse can ever do what only God himself was designed to do. In fact, if anybody else completes you, that's really a form of idolatry, isn't it? If there's anything else that actually tries to complete you, a degree or a certain amount of money or a certain location or certain... Any of those things are really forms of idolatry. Number three, we said this. this the completing then flows out of your deep abiding unshakable relationship with God. And so that's where we landed last week. That was why marriage is so hard because we usually we're looking for that spouse to complete us when that's what God himself wants to do. All right, here we go for today. Say today. Today, today say with me, why is marriage so great? We have no idea. No, just, just <laughs> kidding. So we're going to share with you a couple of reasons why we think marriage is so great.
1: Okay, number one, you get to share everything.
0: Number two, you get to laugh with your spouse through all your ups and downs.
1: You, get, you have the greatest shopping partner. He'll shop at the mall and not complain. And I have not found this to be true yet. Yeah, I'm still working on this.
0: There's hope. You yeah. get to build a legacy for your children.
1: You get to study your mate throughout your marriage experience.
0: You get to see them for who they are before others do.
1: You get to date your spouse every day.
0: You work together to solve problems.
1: You get to experience true levels of intimacy.
0: You can comfort each other, cheer each other on, and celebrate accomplishments.
1: You keep honesty and integrity the focal point of your marriage.
0: You get to find out the true purpose of your marriage.
1: You understand that giving is a two-way street. There's no more I or my but us and ours.
0: And you get to spend the rest of your life with your best friend.
1: As we said last week, we've had the privilege of being married for 32 years. And to be honest with you, our children at times have kind of laughed at how incompatible and different we are. In fact, I'm sure if we went to eHarmony.com, we would not be the perfect (laughs) match. They probably would not put us together. But God has forged some incredible characteristics through our differences that have been really amazing. Um, So I'm thankful to be married to my best friend.
0: Um, A few years ago, we went to a pastor's conference, and they gave pastors personality profile tests and their spouses. So there we are with Dr. John Trent. He's a renowned psychologist and author. And Dr. John Trent uh, gave us the, the, the test. And it's basically these four different pieces. One is caloric, which is leadership. Second one is sanguine, which is your people skills then it's phlegmatic and melancholy, which is how much of a perfectionist you are and how peaceful you are. So we get the results back. I score 100% caloric, 85% sanguine, zero phlegmatic, zero melancholy. Danita scores 41 sanguine, 51 caloric, 49 melancholy, 51... um, um, uh, what's the other one? Phlegmatic. And so John, Dr. John Trent looks at these and he goes, wow, he looks at hers and he goes, wow, like you are really balanced. <laughs> he looks at mine and he goes, oh, do you realize that you really need her? <laughs> true well, story. It is true.
1: true. St- it is true. We thought it would be interesting for you maybe to give you a little window into our souls and how um, different we are. ...and our differences in, in our personalities. Um, it was our 20th wedding anniversary... ...and we decided that we would um, take off from Memphis... ...and drive east six hours to East Tennessee... ...and spend some time in the in Gatlinburg area... ...and go hiking and that kind of thing. My parents live really close. so We were going to drop the kids off and head on up. So we did just that. And we were driving through a little town called Townsend, Tennessee... ...and me being the adventurous someone thought... ...hey, let's, let's go tubing. I see all these people coming down the river... And I said, how about it? You want to go tubing? And he wasn't quite sure about it, but I thought, you know, this will make a great memory. And so we pulled off the side of of the road, and we were watching these people, you know, tube down the river. And Kurt was focused, zeroed in on this one man. And he's looking at this guy, and this, this guy had just gotten in the river. And as soon as he got in his tube, he flipped over. And Kurt is laughing hysterically at this guy, making fun of him, like, what kind of guy does this? You know, who is this guy? And he looked at me, and he said, we got this. We can do this. So got back in the car, went down, um, rented our tubes, and went back up. They take you in a bus and drop you off at what's called the Y. We jumped in the river, got in our tubes, and I'm not kidding you, within seconds, flipped out of the tube his head is down in the water his feet are up in the air he's like doing this headstand and I'm thinking oh no this is bad so I'm counting 1001 1002 1003 he finally pops his head back up and I said are you okay (laughs) he said no I'm not okay I he lost his prescription sunglasses his tube is headed down the river and I'm yelling somebody catch the tube And they did, so the current kind of took him, and I was following beside him. Well, it gets better, okay? So he decides it it would be a really good idea to just kind of hug the river bank. And as he did that, every tree that he went under, the branches were just smacking him in the head. (laughs) He was charging and crashing into these huge river rocks. I said, Kurt... Come over here. Get in the middle. It's a lot easier. You know, just kind of dodge, just move to the left or the right, Move, you know, dodge around these big rocks. And he looked at me and said, No, I'm staying over here. I said, Okay, okay. So we didn't make it too far down the river, and he saw an exodus. He saw these people getting out of the river, this riverbank, and he took off. So here I was, floating down the river, 20th anniversary, thinking this is a picture of our life. You know, our marriage, his approach is like a defensive linebacker. He just charges forward, smacks those branches, hits those rocks. Whereas I go down the river looking at the mountains, you know, thinking how beautiful this day is. And the birds are singing. I'm just kind of moving, swaying with the rapids. But do we learn any lessons from that I, experience? I think you
0: like that story a little too much. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, there's several lessons. I guess one, God will get you back if you're making fun of somebody. And, 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 and I did. I called the guy an idiot, you know. Thought, what kind of an idiot falls out of a tube? And second of all, it's like um, maybe I should have listened to my wife. I, I don't know. Maybe,
1: maybe, yeah.
0: But it's a good picture of marriage. Um, for some people, it's like going down the river on a tube. For others, it's maybe a long walk. And um, maybe your walk would be arduous at times. Maybe it would be smooth. Maybe the terrain would be you know pretty easy going. Maybe the terrain would be like high and hilly. Perhaps the ride uh, would be exciting at times. But other times it's rather mundane. Or marriage is rather sometimes just normal and boring. One of the problems, though, is today we live longer, which means we can be married a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Many years ago. Um, people didn't live this long. Women died in childbirth. And as early as 1870, uh, a woman could be expected to be at home alone when her youngest child left home. And so what's interesting is, is marriage has gotten longer over the years. If you stay together with your spouse your entire life, by 1911, the average marriage was 28 years. But by 1967, it went all the way to 42 years.
1: So with medical advances and increasing life expectancy, many of us can you know, anticipate celebrating 60 or 70 years of marriage. And so with that in mind, we thought, well, we better take a look at a, a story in the Bible, maybe a perfect marriage that we could look at, because you and I are going to need help for sure. And those that are married and who aspire to be married are going to need some help. So let's take a look we, at this.
0: We need lots of help. Yeah. So in First Samuel <laughs> chapter 25, there's this great story. And in one Sam twenty five, there's this man named Nabal, and he's described as wealthy. He's a, a large landowner. He has a thousand um, sheep, a three hundred goats, and um, he's described though as mean and surly. He's married to Abigail and Abigail is described as beautiful and sweet and kind and intelligent. It's kind of interesting sometimes how opposites really do attract. So here's our story, 1 Samuel chapter 25. I'm going to start with verse 4. 1 Samuel 25 verse 4. It says, now David was in the wilderness. Now you've got to understand this. David's not the king. David's not in safety. David now is running for his life. He's running rough away from King Saul. He's with 600 rough riders. Basically, he's got 600 almost outlaws that he's in charge of. He's in the wilderness. Have you been to Israel? Several of us have been to Israel? You can see there's lots and lots of places like this where a whole group of people could actually hide. He heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet them in my name. Say to them, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now, I hear that it is sheep shearing time. Now, you got to understand this. David provided a security system. David provided security for all these people of Nabal and his household. And so now it's time he expects to get some of the proceeds. It's sheep shearing time. We've been protecting you. We've been the security company providing for you. Now you're shearing the sheep. Now you're going, the flocks are going to harvest. We want some of the spoils. We well, hear it's sheep shearing time. And when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son, David, whatever you can find for them. Now, when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word to king David. He wasn't king yet. just He was in the wilderness. And David said to his men, he's ticked. Look at his response. Each of you strap on your what? Strap on your sword. What's going to happen? I'm coming. Strap on your sword. And so they did. And David strapped his arm as well. And about 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail. Now, Abigail is Nabal's wife. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our masters his greetings. But but our master, Nabal, he hurled insults at them. Yet these men, they were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields nearby, then nothing was missing. Night and day, there were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that, he can, that no one can talk to him. Now here's where the plot really thickens. Because Abigail and all of her children and all of her household and all of her servants are in peril. They're in great danger. David is coming. 200 guys are going to stay with the camp. 400 rangers are coming in full force. And they come over this ravine and they're going to just wipe out the entire household of Nabal. David is insulted. And so Abigail hears this, She tells her servants quickly, go get the bread, go get the raisin cakes, go get the milk, go get the goats, go take all this. And she takes all this food toward David as David is coming with the swords drawn. They come over this mountain and here comes David and his men over the mountain and here comes Abigail and all her little servants and all the food. And Abigail gets off of her donkey. She bows down before David and she says, please, my Lord, Please accept my humble gift. Please, my my husband, Nabal, he's foolish. My husband, Nabal, he's just like his name. His name means fool, and he's been wicked. Please, do not do this. Do not slay us. Do not slaughter us. Do not kill us. I'm begging you to take great care of us. And David accepted her gift, and a great disaster was diverted.
1: So what could be so great about this marriage now, I believe that character is forged in hard times and beauty is birthed in struggle. See, like most wives, Abigail was able to see the far-reaching implications of her husband's actions long before he could. And the truth is there are no perfect marriages. In fact, this one displays a man who is in complete rebellion against God. And Abigail knew that this rebellion and his gruff old growlings were going to cost him more than he could ever pay. So, what, what was going on in Abigail's life? What was she thinking? Well, she had some choices. Number one, she could have engaged in a battle with her husband. And number two, she could have avoided the confrontation and just smiled through her pain. But this isn't what we see taking place here. What we see taking place is this emergence of... of character within her. She is displaying a valiant witness. She's being faithful and she's being obedient to God. It appears that Abigail has this fear for God more than she feared her obnoxious husband. And so do you think that the Bible would portray her in this way of being a wise person or having this character um, in this particular light, if it were not case the case, I don't think so. I think this story is in the Bible to give us hope, because in her, in her struggles, just like in ours, God was developing and strengthening her core to be used by Him. So, how did this turn out for Abigail? Well, Let's take a look. First um, Samuel twenty-five. It says, then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all the things, these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife.
0: And she did. I mean, it worked out. That's one of those stories that kind of worked out, and it was an amazing ending to Abigail and to David's relationship. But let's talk about David for just a minute. Did you ever notice how all these women were great tests for him? And even though he failed in some of these situations, he seemed to fail forward. You can fail backwards, but David seemed to fail forward. In fact, every one of these women issues became challenges for David. It was like David got stronger and stronger and stronger, and we see God forging the amazing character of David.
1: See, possibly the best way to compare marriage is to that of Mount Everest. So let's take a look at this this picture here. And there are few natural wonders more startling in their beauty than Mount Everest. In fact, geologists believe that the way it was created was that the Indian continent was crashing, crashed into Eurasia. And crashing here is a hyperbole because, in fact, the two continents collided at a movement of about 10 centimeters per year. But slow and steady did the job. And as India um, continues to keep moving inward, compressing and lifting up Eurasia, this spectacular natural treasure continues to be um, created. So why is marriage so great? The principle is the same for you and for me. These collisions within our marriage can create relationships of beauty. Um, Let's take a look at um, number one on your bulletin. Beauty is often birthed in struggles. See, these points of impact may not feel good. In fact, at, at times they're not fun and they feel like we're being ripped apart. But it's these points in our lives that God is developing our character, making us stronger, and deepening our faith. And this phenomenon of being married like six or seven decades, I mean, this is incredible because we can look forward to the rich dividends that it's going to pay from all of, all of our experiences and how God is shaping us. Um, just imagine, Kurt, um, what I'm going to be like after having be, been married to you for so many years and what you're going to be like after having been married to me for so many years
0: you're going to qualify for sainthood. Okay, number two. Number two, not only is it birth and struggles, but look at the second bullet point. Marriage changes you. This is the point we really want to make this morning. You don't change your spouse. How much energy have you spent trying to change your spouse? How many years of emotional capital have you and I wasted trying to change him or trying to change her? You, You really don't change your spouse, but really what happens is marriage changes you. I want you to listen to a story by one of my favorite people, Abraham Lincoln. Now, Abraham Lincoln was married to Mary Todd. Here's a picture of Mary Todd. Mary Todd was hardly the type of woman with whom you could enjoy a quiet evening with. She was a woman of intense impulses and tremendous temper. Her bouts of temper made retaining help difficult. And Lincoln responded by giving the girls an extra weekly dollar. After one forceful eruption between Mary and a maid, Lincoln patted the girl on the shoulder and said, stay with her, Maria, stay with her. And he had to hold on to the help because hiring new workers was challenging with his wife's incredible uh, reputation. When a salesman called on the White House and was exposed to one of Mary's verbal assaults, he marched right up to the Oval Office. Times were different then, right? He marched right up to the Oval Office and said to President Lincoln about how Mary Todd, the First Lady, had treated him. Lincoln listened calmly, then stood and said gently, You can endure for 15 minutes what I have endured for 15 years. (laughs) And Lincoln suffered numerous public indignities from Mary Todd. One time she threw coffee in his face in front of a whole bunch of people. She went on spending sprees and bought a hundred pairs of gloves on one occasion. And before he was president, she hired a contractor to redo their entire house without even telling him. Now, added to this sometimes bizarre pressure at home, Lincoln's political life was equally chaotic. His insistence on fighting the Civil War to the end made him one of the most unpopular presidents of all time. Over 600,000 men perished in this horrific conflict that Lincoln was deter- determined to bring to a conclusion. Now, here's the question. What gives a man such tenacity? How does a man develop the character to persist in the face of widespread hatred and chaos? How does a man keep going when his home and his nation seem to be falling apart? It's the cliche, but it's true about Abraham Lincoln. He's when his personal life was darkest. Now, don't miss the connection. The connection between Lincoln's marriage and his, his mission is not difficult. It is easy to see how a man who might quit on a difficult marriage wouldn't have the character to hold together a crumbling nation. But Lincoln was obsessed with saving the Union. What better training ground than the difficult marriage that required such tenacity from him? And not only did Lincoln's difficult marriage not deter him from achieving greatness, one can argue it actually helped prepare him for greatness. It really exposes the lie, I could have done something if I hadn't been married to this woman, or the wife saying to herself, just think what I might be if I weren't held back by such a loser. It's so interesting to me how marriage is meant to change me. That took me a long time to figure out. I'm really not going to change her. We've softened some. We've come in a little bit. We've moved the needle a little bit toward each other. But honestly, our personalities are exactly the same as when I met her when she was 17 years old and when I was 20. So it's the persistence of James where he talks about how marriage is now meant to change you. Listen to James chapter 1. James says this. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Say that with me. Let Let perseverance perseverance finish finish its work. work. Let perseverance finish its work so that you, you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Whether you're single or whether you're married, where is God forging your character? Where is he at work in you trying to transform you? So this week, we just want to get you to think about not changing your spouse or not changing your boss or not changing your neighbor or not changing your brother. How in the world can you grow and you change? Point number three. Here's the third one. A great marriage is not something you find. It's really something that you work at. Every time that, you know, you announce um, so-and-so has been married for 50 years, you notice how everybody just kind of claps. Everybody goes, ah, like, oh, it's so wonderful. As if they've had 50 blissful years. There's nobody who's been married 50 years who've had 50 blissful years. I mean, there's times when you can't wait to go home, and there's times, I got to go home. Are you kidding? <laughs> I got to go be with him. I got to go be with her. A- everybody in the room that's been married a few years, you get that, don't you? You see, a great marriage is not something that you find. It is truly something that you have to work at. Well, number four, here's the next one. Instead of running from uh, your marriage, the struggles of marriage, what if you embrace them? What if you ask the question, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to teach me? What do you have in store for me? Again, I just want to say this for the record. I have wasted so much emotional capital trying to change her. And don't let that little southern smile fool you. (laughs) We are two very different stubborn people. And yet we see that God is at work changing us, changing me. What if we did this? Look at the verse that goes along. Look at the next one. The next one goes with this. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Look at this verse with us. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Say that with me out loud. May the The Lord Lord direct direct your hearts hearts into God's love and into Christ's Christ's perseverance." perseverance. So... I don't know what happened in all your relationships. and We're not here to judge you. We're not here to tell you about the past. We're here to go forward. We're here to talk about your relationship today, where you are today. If you check out of your marriage today, you will miss what God has in store to teach you. If you flee from your marriage and you marry somebody else and marry somebody else and marry somebody else, you will miss what your heavenly Father is trying to do inside of you. Now, if you check out emotionally, I'm not going to get divorced, but I'm just not going to be emotionally engaged. Again, it's the same thing. You miss what God has in store to teach you, and you miss what God has in store to to train you. So, we want to pray for you this morning. We want to pray that you will be fully engaged in the relational challenges that are in your life. And again, you're single, you're married, you've got relational challenges. And how is God trying to use those relational challenges to change you and to transform you? And so we're going to pray for you. Um, You want to pray for the ladies? Single ladies. All all the singles and all the married women, if you would. All the single women and married women, stand up at this time. Denise is going to pray over you.
1: Father, we come to you this morning just praising your name and thanking you for your word. Because it's in your word that we are taught the truth. And Father, whether we're single or whether we're married, We all are faced with challenges, with struggles. And Lord, we're asking, I'm asking for you to empower through your spirit that you would strengthen every one of these ladies through your Holy Spirit to embrace these challenges in front of them that they're faced with even this very moment. And, Father, that they would look at these as opportunities for you to deepen their faith and build their character and strengthen their core because you have so much that you want to do through their lives. And so, Father, we bring them to your throne just to receive that mercy and grace today.
0: I want to ask all the men in the room to stand up. And if you're married, men, reach over and grab the hand of your spouse. Father, as men, whether we're single or whether we're married, what do you want to teach us? How do you want us to grow and become great men of God? If we're single and we have relational challenges with family or with work or with uh, neighbors, what, what do you want to teach us? How do you want to change us? And God, if we're married in this room, We have such a responsibility to really let you complete us and let us be so filled with your Holy Spirit that we're able to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Father, forgive us when we've checked out emotionally. Forgive us when we've checked out physically. Let us engage. Let us grow. You've got great things in store for us and you've got to make us strong, and you've got to teach us, and you've got to transform us, just like you did with David, just like you did with Abraham Lincoln. Every man in this room, single or married, has a great purpose, a great role, and a great responsibility. Oh, dear God, give us the ability to engage and to go forward. I want to ask our prayer partners to come down front right now this morning. As our prayer partners come down this morning, um, maybe you need some special prayer. We haven't talked about giving your life to Christ, but that's a great place to start. If you've never given your life to Jesus, we highly encourage that. Every one of our services, we encourage people to become Christians. But maybe you're single, and you've got some great relational challenges, and you want to flee. You don't want to engage. Maybe you're married. And you've checked out emotionally, and you know it, and he knows it, or she knows it, but it's time to re-engage emotionally. Maybe, Maybe your marriage is going really, really well. Maybe your marriage is great, but you just want somebody to pray for you, and to pray over you, and to ask God's blessing to be upon you. We encourage you to do that today, because you know what? Marriage really is so great. God bless you.